Ken Sheldon was a triple premiership player at Carlton who was discarded by the Blues at 27. He later coached St Kilda and boasted a 55% win rate when he was dumped by the Saints after four years. Welcome, Kenny. Any lingering hard feelings? I mean, there were two hard luck stories there. Oh, yeah, but no, no real hard feelings, but I'm not sure discard is the right word. The St Kilda? St Kilda uh, or Carlton? Probably both. Both? Yeah. So you chose to leave Carlton at 27, did you? Well, I didn't really have the backing of the coach at that point. I'd made a bit of an error, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Explain, please. A bit of a slip after the 86 loss. So you, right, let's set the scene. You've played three games at the end of the 86 Home and Away series. Yeah. Right? Uh, you'd worked hard on the coach to give you the opportunity to sort of prove that you deserved a spot in the finals <laughs> team. And he declined that invitation from you, didn't he? And, and left you out. Oh, yeah. And, and that's why I was such a great coach. He could make a hard call like that. I think you need to, as a player, you need to be playing for your coach. And at that time, we weren't that close. Because of my error under the influence of, after the 86, trying to point out to him how he might actually win one. Um, I need some more information about this. So you've, you've blued with Wolsey's told you. Wolsey's a former teammate of yours and a yeah. friend. And he's the coach of the Blues and he says to you, Kenny, I'm not playing in the finals. Yeah, absolutely. And you reacted negatively yeah, to that? Yeah, but not, but not so much then. Um, I, I, you know, you can't upset the apple cart there because for the greater... for your teammates, you know, there's a chance there that they can win the flag. So. It's not about you, you've got to dilute that and absorb that and just play your part, whatever it may be that they ask, which I was, I was quite happy to do and did, oh, I thought, reasonably well because we, we won the flag in the twos. But the seniors were belted. It was a, you know, it was just... I suppose you've got to lose one before you win one. Yep. The following year yep. I was able to address that, but he certainly wasn't going to have me in part of those plans because of the... Um, you know, the altercation, I suppose, that we'd had. It was, it was no big deal, but I knew that I didn't have him in my corner. Um, you know, I was offered the opportunity to play on at to the To stay club. at the Blues in 87? Yeah, the, the negotiations in those days were done by Wes, Wes Lofts. Mm -hmm. um, 19 grand was the, uh, was the amount um, to stay there, which, you know, was no big deal either. Like, it didn't worry me that it was less money. Um, that didn't Down from what, Kenny? 19, and what had you been on previously? Oh. I was always incentive-based, Michael, and you always had the opportunity of earning, uh, you know, way north of that. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, if you didn't have the senior coach in your corner, um, like, that's why you play footy, I reckon. You know, you play for your mates, you play because you love it. But, but I think the, real, the clubs that win them all, they really love and aspire and respect their coach and they, mm -hmm. they just go that extra. OK. My memory is that your form in the home and away series oh, that's was pretty average. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It was my fault both uh, with the tongue and also with, with the output. When you like, say the tongue, you keep Im implying well, I was cheeky something. cheeky little bugger, mate. Yeah, I know, of course you were, but what did you, say, what did you say to the coach when he said you're out of the finals? No, well, you have... One thing I always did with the coaches was always respected and, res and accepted what they said straight off. OK, so was there a subsequent message at the end of the season? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Uh, after the loss and the yep. Monday wake and everything, da 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 da, and you know, you just you just get a bit loose with your lips. So <laughs> you still won't tell me, will you? Well, I let him know in no uncertain terms that unless he changed his way and got a few of the players actually really playing for him, yep. then he could miss another one because the talent was there. Okay, so it was, it was a matter of his. Because it was right there, right on, right on the nose. Okay, good. Because yeah. it all happened in a hurry for you, didn't it? You made your, you down from Midiamo, make your AFL debut at 17 years of age. Yeah. You play in your first premiership at 19, 
and you've got three flags to your name at 22. Yeah, it did, Mike. Um, at 17, we come to Melbourne and, and look, I was a country boy from the farm and, and all I wanted to do was uh, play 100 games, mm -hmm. play in a premiership and hopefully play for Victoria and return home. Um, back to the farm. That, that was my plan. <laughs> um, anyway, I got to 97 games and I'm still here. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's, look. I, I, looking back at, through your history, I mean, at 19 you're a premiership player, and you're the club's leading goal kicker at Carlton with yeah. 53. Yeah. I mean, the world was your oyster then, wasn't it? Yeah, there wasn't much we couldn't do. Um, you know, we had look. There were some exceptional players at, at the club. Like it didn't quite work in '78, uh, but '79 we won the second semi and the grand final. Mm, there was a incident of some note in the 79 grand final, wasn't there, involving you? <laughs> well, you, and, you and Harmsy, you mentioned Harmsy. Uh, I've heard you interviewed before and you did say that um, you're asked about the, uh, the Harms slap back from the boundary line probably once a day, sometimes more often. Yeah, that's true. Now, that's you're true. in the goal square, Harmsy's at the boundary line, wet day, he smacks the ball back, you pick it up and kick the goal and uh, that ends up being the winning margin. Yep, that, that still took every day of my life, I would yeah. say, with few exceptions mm. um, that goes by. But, you know, the reason that that happens is Wayne, Wayne's one of the best players pound for pound that the competition's ever seen. Like, and he's a Norm Smith medalist, uh, deservedly so. Uh, he, was a, he was an explosive type player, could jump his own height, quick as quick, strong as strong, uh, you know, just incredible. Um, and we had him up our sleeve. It was just a matter to ignite him at some stage during a game and you'd get five or ten or fifteen minutes out of him and it would change, um, change the game. Mm -hmm. uh, Is it true that when a Collingwood supporter asks you, you tell them it was a couple of metres over the boundary line? Yeah, you'd look at them right in the eyes and you, know, <laughs> you get a great response. It's good fun. You explain to us this, Ken. You, you're not tall and you've, mm. played, you've led the goal kick at Carlton in a premiership year with 53 mm. and you've had nine bags of three or more. Yeah. Describe how you can do that at your size. I mean, that's, I suppose Eddie Betts can do it, can't he? I mean, you were a bit different to Betts, weren't you? Yeah, well, yeah, uh, very different. But, but, you know, he's a much better player than I ever was, I think. But, but you look at... Um, we had one forward in Mark McClure. And we would be running all directions. So all you had to do was isolate your player one out. And like, we were reasonably good at one-on-one. Um, fair group of us, and we were educated to win the one-on-ones, uh, and we're also educated to run hard to the front and square, of which I was probably pretty reasonable at too, being able to crumb the ball off the pack or get it as it skidded over the back or yep. to the side. This is my memory of you. You were um, brilliant on your feet. I never rarely saw you on the ground, clean with your hands, and read it well, and a great goal sense. Yeah, well. Uh, we played Hawthorne, and you'll love this one. Um, I for some reason, I'm on Lee Matthews just for a moment mm. in the game. And the ball came over the back, and it was I was in the slot, and I knew that if I didn't take this ball cleanly... <laughs> he was going to take you cleanly. <laughs> <laughs> I might not be playing too many more games. Anyway, I did take that ball cleanly, and I scooted out of there, and I sort of had the confidence then to say, well, you know, I reckon I can match this. Mm. OK. Yeah. You were part of what was the famous... Carlton Mosquito Fleet. I mean, that's been used at yeah. a lot of clubs, but in yeah. the time you were there, it was used. David Parkins says, Parker can make big statements, but he did say it's the best brigade of small men that he's seen in the game. So I want you to, uh, to rate these for me, Kenny. Armstrong, who you played a little bit with, Barry Armstrong. Yeah. These More so these blokes. Ashman, Buckley, Harms, maybe Trevor Keogh, Alex Marcoux. 
Yeah, well, they're all great players, and there's some best and fairest winners in there. And uh, I, I think Jimmy, pound for pound, was probably better than them all. Um, you know, 16 year old. Jimmy Buckley. Yeah, probably mm -hmm. a bit biased because I because I did play schoolboy football alongside him, and yep. we you yep. know we're great mates. But but pound for pound, you know, like, like he'd kill him in today's footy. Just Why? delivering that ball with yep. precision and just tough and hard, just continuing to butter up, butter up, butter up. He, he's an enormous, an enormous player. When we come back, let's reflect on your time in charge of the great plugger locket. Must have been a culture shock for you leaving Carlton, leaving Princess Park, heading south to Moorabbin where you played for three years. Well, it was, yeah. We, you know, well, that year, 1979, I think we won 21 of 23 games to have the flag. Well, I don't think I played in that many wins. Well, I'll tell you what Kilda. you did do. You, you played in 15 finals for Carlton and you played in 14 wins for St Gilda. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it was markedly different, wasn't it? Uh, it was, and, and the major reason, though, was that the Saints, we just didn't have any money. You know, at all. What, well, six Carlton blokes went there in the space of two years. What were they going for? For playing for the love of the jumper or not? Though obviously, you blokes were getting paid at Moorabbin. Yeah, uh, me personally, it was an incentive-based contract again. Um, but I went there because my great mates Peter McConville and Well Jones. So they they went there in '86. Yeah. And you followed in '87 with Alex Marcoux. Yeah. Spiro Corkamillas. Yeah. Ian Muller. Ian Muller. And yeah. then I think Ricky Nixon. And, um, and then I think Glazer might have come down even later on. So there was a few yeah. that... Um, what was the attraction? Was it because you blokes were all mates, was it? Yeah, pretty much so, Mike. Um, like, Alex could have went to the Brisbane Bears and uh, I, I was actually going to be assistant coach at Fremantle. Um, really? Yeah, you're going to take off with Graham Mulrose. So that would have been uh, an interesting chapter. Yeah. But um, we decided that we'd uh, continue on and you know, I'm so glad we did because it's a, it's a great place. Mm. You... Um, you had three more years as a player, and then you play complete that career at 29. Yeah. And then suddenly you're the coach of the Saints. Yeah. Tell us how that came about. Well, Daryl Bulldock was, was the coach, and he was, you know, ill. So he he it was he wasn't going to continue on. So the club had sounded me out about maybe three or four weeks, five weeks prior to the end of the year. Yep. Uh, I, I thought I was going in to see them about playing another year, you know, because I was actually going okay. I was playing in the back pocket. I couldn't mm. believe how easy mm. it was. Mike. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You know, I kept kicking it to you, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, and I thought, you know, yeah. But they they asked me to consider um, because I had an innate understanding of how the football club were, was working. Like I, I put a lot of time and effort in there, just trying to. Um, trying to get some confidence in the place. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was good, you know. Like we had some great people and, um, yeah, we were able to turn it around a bit. You had four years as a coach. I'm intrigued by this. Four years as a coach at St Kilda. You missed the finals in your first year with a reasonable return. Then you play finals two years in a row. Yeah. In your fourth year, you win half your games and then you're done. Yeah. Then there's got to be an explanation that we're, no, that we're not sure about here. Yeah, there probably is. Like... A, you know, like any club, I suppose, when expectation, you know, exceeds delivery, you know, we'd been down for so long. Before you got there, they hadn't played finals for 17 years. Yeah. In the coaching box, I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so what, where are the expectations then? If this team hasn't been in the finals for 17 years, how are they expecting you to win a flag? Well, I think if you lined up the likes of Lockett, Lowe, David Grant, Danny Frawley, those type of players, um, and, and you combine those with Robert Harvey, Jason Daniels, Nathan They Bird. were kids then, weren't they? Yeah, yeah only yeah. ferrets, but, you know, they're pretty talented boys. Yeah. Nick, Nicky Winmar in there, you know. Nicky's probably the most exciting Indigenous player I've ever seen. Like, I think he's the first to play 200 games, and he, you know, he, he was an enormous player. So, so we had a, a good breadth and of top-end talent. One of those personalities was a bloke called Anthony Plugger Locker. <laughs> the best player now, I've ever seen. Best player you've ever seen? Yeah, by a long way. By a long way? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and you saw him close up for four years, yeah, so yeah. I accept that. Yeah, as, I mean, a, as a coach, I seen him for four years, and as a teammate, I seen him for three. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like at Carlton, Bruce Dool, Craig Bradley, you know, there was Lethal and there was, like, your, you know, your Gary Ablett's and your Malcolm Bites and, and Timmy Carey. Watson's and your Wayne Carey's. And they're, they're all there. And this bloke's the best player by a long way. In my view. Wow. Yeah. You had something... You, you knew how to make him tick, Kenny. Um, yeah. you, he had Your yeah. first... Your four years at St Kilda, yeah. he kicked 377 goals. Yeah. yeah. Now, how did you handle him? I mean, you wouldn't have handled him like everyone else on the list. No. What, what What was your secret? You and, you and Hutto worked together with Peter Hudson. Yeah, yeah, we did, uh, and Gary Colling. Yeah, and uh, and you know, yeah, we, we we had a lot of, but one on one was the secret. Just go and spend time with Tony, talk about all sorts of things. Mm. You know, greyhounds quite often. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all sorts of things. But deep down, he was a real competitor. Had a lot of pride, and but you know, he also had some difficulties in getting himself to a physical state of fitness required to play the game like as an asthmatic and, and a large man. Mm. Um, but, you know, we used to work on those things and, uh, and you know, he was just... Like, round eight in 19... Would it be eight, 1990? He's kicked eight, I think, at about maybe the 15-minute mark of the second quarter against North Melbourne on Mick Martin. Mm. And he does his knee. Mm. You know, so we win nine games that year. The following year, I think he kicks... Maybe 120. He kicked 127 goals in 91 and 132 in 92. Yeah, you know, kicks eight goals in his first ever final, opening up. I think yeah. the following year he might have kicked five or whatever. But one of the best stories ever with Tony was against Melbourne in the 1992 season. We had to win that game to play in the finals. And uh, three quarter time, we were about even with them. And my three quarter time speech, as I'd been often seen Tony prior to meeting the huddle, was no matter what happens here, if we just hold the ball in there, can you kick four? Because I think if you can, hmm. we can win it. And he said, I'll kick four. No problem. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he did. And he did. And we won. Wow. Uh, and he, he, uh, yeah, he... Look, there's a lot of myths and a lot of stories, but genuine, that man is a, is a really good fellow and he was just one of the... Well, he was the best player I've ever seen. Was he difficult to control and did you bend your rules that applied to everyone else for, for Plugger? Um, I couldn't sit here and say we didn't, but we tried to stay a firm line and so did he. You know, he really did try to work work with us. Like, he, he loved his teammates and he loved the uh, the whole show, but, you know, there was <laughs> there were some times that things uh, were got a bit wide and varied. Like? Uh, well, he, he loved his greyhounds. Yeah. And... That was my deal with him too, was to uh, to let him, you know, shoot off to places like Orange and different places <laughs> to uh, 
to watch know, his dogs. To watch his dogs. Yeah. Well, okay, you're trying to play league elite football and you're sitting in a car for nine, ten hours mm. eating dim sims and, <laughs> you know, it's a bit, a bit hard. Um, so we used to talk about those things, but, yeah. you know, we'd... And you, you turned a blind eye to that, did you? Well, I used to allow that, but the, yeah, media, the yeah. media would then pick up and beat on it that he wasn't at training or that, he, you know, it was just a, it was quite farcical, really. Um, but, yeah, you know, we were working together behind, behind the scenes for that to... So you, you knew what made him work? Well, I think so. Yeah. When yeah. he transgressed, Ken, it, and he did, did you have to bite your tongue to not treat him like everyone else? Or did you actually lay it on the line, eyeball him and sort of say, that's not good enough, we're not tolerating uh, Absolutely, I've done that a few times. With, with Plugger? Yeah, and uh, uh, there was a little room, there's a little room at the property room at, uh, at uh, Moorabbin and there's only one door, one door in and <laughs> yeah. one door out. And I remember very nearly making a mistake. I sort of led him into that room and when I realised what I was about to say, I shuffled him around <laughs> so I could get out. So you were closer to the door. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. But, uh, you know... He, he, he was actually one of the key reasons as to uh, probably why I never uh, continued coaching at St Kilda. Why? Well, the club, they wanted to sell him. I remember sitting with Alan McAllister and Travis Pays and uh, in his... Alan McAllister was president of Collingwood. Yeah. Travis Pays was St Kilda's president. Yeah, in his East Boundary Hotel. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. And they'd offered a million dollars in cash for Lockett. To, to the footy club or to Plugger? Yeah, no, to the footy club. To the footy club? Yeah. And that, you know, this wow. is all a club that had no dough. And we, we, we at that point were shifting to Waverley to play our home games just to stay alive, you know. Um, yeah, so, you know, Peter Hudson, myself and, uh, you know, the board and everybody, they, they um, you know, but my recommendation was to hang on to the golden egg. Mm. You know, like that, that was it. He's the best player that I've ever seen. Mm. And my club wants to sell him and so because I was a million dollars fighting. is a golden egg too mate yeah um, oh, absolutely but I was fighting hard to uh, to keep him because you know effectively I knew if he was gone um, it wouldn't be too long before I'd be gone because <laughs> uh, you know history said that at the Saints what do you say when Travis Pays and his cohorts say to you Bomber we can get a million bucks for Plugger gets us out of the hole we can buy new players draft and stuff like that how do you dispute, how do you say to them that's the wrong strategy? Because history had always said it was at the Saints. So how are we going to change it? Just like that. You've got to give your supporters hope. Lockett was hope. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about probably the most celebrated moment of your coaching career, and you know how we look at the dark things. It was uh, around 12, 1992. Do you remember the game at the MCG, St Kilda's playing Collingwood? You've come down. <laughs> you know where this is going. There might have been 80 odd thousand people. There were 80,000 witnesses, yeah. And you've come down from the coaching box <laughs> and you've obviously <laughs> called Craig Devonport from the field yep. to make a point to him. Yeah. <laughs> and a very strong point, yeah. I say. <laughs> it, it was a very strong point. Did you not grab him by the jumper and pull him in towards you? Yeah. Well, I did. Because he couldn't um, hear you. That's right. Bit <laughs> hard of hearing, Craig. What did um, you say, Kenny? Uh, front and square. Front and square. So you Lo dragged him from the ground. Yeah. And remonstrated with him to tell him to be front and square. Yeah, low and lock it. Where are you going to be, Mike? You know, if you want to feed, front and square, mm -hmm. right? Um, and yet he wasn't there. Um, and from that point on, he started to. Mm. He responded. And do you remember I, who kicked the winning goal that day? Yeah, yeah. And you know the irony of it. 
he picked it up from the boundary. <laughs> Did he? So he wasn't picked it up wide. <laughs> but uh, he yeah, kicked two late goals and you win the game. He did, Craig. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you, the media, you, you're very cagey, you blokes. I'm not you, in the media. I'm retired. Yeah, I understand. But back in those days, <laughs> um, you and uh, Trevor Grant and the different guys, you uh, you split us as we come in and got a different story from both of or tried to, but thankfully. Um, you know, Craig was able to just say, well, scary eyes, and I was able to just say, well, front and square, and yeah. which was sort of where it was. Time over again, Ken. Is it a good look for a coach to do that to one of his players? No, it's not. No, no, I, no. I, I, time over again, I probably wouldn't do that. Mm. Um, you know, but again, there's uh, many moments in a coach's box that you wouldn't like to have captured on video. Yep. You know, punching the wall or just, yeah, yeah. just childish, silly things, <laughs> you know, but... but that's how it gets you. Like you, you go into it a reasonable man, you come out the other end, I think, a little bit <laughs> different. When you left after the 1993 90, season, this is one of the most staggering stat statistics of my time following football. You leave in 1993, you've coached the footy club for four years, you are the second longest serving coach in St Kilda's history. <laughs> what does that say about the way that they treated the people they put in charge? Well, I guess that sort of explains my disappointment in not being reappointed. You know, I've never said anything because you, you don't you don't need to. But you know, history just says, unfortunately, how immature we were as a club in those mm, days. Mm. Um, Let's turn to family. You and Wendy have got four kids. Yeah, we do. Mm. Sammy, your son played uh, forty odd games with uh, the Brisbane Lions. Yeah. Uh, it's difficult for a father to appraise the the performances of his son. Was he unlucky? Should he have got more opportunities? We just missed out on that breakout game, I think, Mike, when you look back. Like, he was 17 when he left home. Um, you know, Gubby, come and got him. Yeah, um, Gubby. That's <laughs> the great Gubby. The notorious Gubby Allen, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he just, he, yeah, he just missed out on that breakout game, I reckon. Um, you know, play your role, and he'd kick one or two, but he never had his four or fiver, you know. Mm. Um, he's a great kid. He's exited the game really well. Yep. He's uh, really rounded. And um, you know, very proud of him. Three girls. Yeah. Melissa, yeah. Lauren, Carly. Yeah. Melissa has, has a, got a profile in her own right. She yeah. she contracted melanoma about how many seven or eight years ago? Yeah, seven. She's been yeah. ravaged by melanoma. <clears throat> she has, Mike. It's been a uh, you know it's been a, a absolutely well. It's just yeah, just been all over the shop. It's mm. an incredible journey. And you've told me this, so I'm not breaking confidence here. Twice you've sat with her and held her hand and said goodbye. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's... Uh, but thankfully, the, um, you know, the benefits of medicine and skilled doctors, professors, just amazing. Mm. So, um, yeah, but that girl, she's, uh, she's tough. Yes, she is. She's resilient. She's got a great, great desire to live. You know, she really works hard at her health really works hard at understanding what makes makes her tick and really really works hard at understanding what it is that they're they're trying to do mm. trying to help her with and she has a great belief in in the people that are helping her you know the professors and the doctors she's she's right in their corner with them and uh, it's it's an inspiration to uh, to watch unfold yeah. and support but you've also said and, and, and Melissa knows I mean it's a terminal condition isn't it? It is, Mike. Yeah, there's no cure mm. um, at this point, uh, and she's, you know, she's a cat with more than nine lives, yeah, frankly, yeah. and 
It's an amazing journey. No one's got, no one smiles more than you do and means <laughs> it like you do. What about at home, uh, inside the four walls of the, uh, the Sheldon household? How difficult is it to main, maintain that optimistic attitude that you've got? Um, it is difficult, there's no question. And, and you do have your moments, but not for too long. You know, uh, I'm glad to say that the, uh, you know, my wife Wendy and, and all my kids have, they've all grown with this, uh, with this happening with Melissa. Um, you know, it's brought everybody, it's lifted everybody's game. It's, a, it's an incredible place to be around. And, you know, whilst you wouldn't wish it on anybody, we're going to make the most of what it mm. is. And because uh, like that, you're not here. So you mm. got to, you wake up in the morning and you've got to be prepared to yeah. you know, get on with it. And, and that's so yeah. So there are their moments, but not not for too long, Mike. And uh, yeah, not for too long. I don't want to push you too far here. It's a really raw and sensitive issue. But when you say the darkest times. Is there one moment in the last seven or eight years where you've just despaired of what was uh, what was ahead of you? Yeah, it was the uh, Richmond Carlton game, opening of the season, um, three four years ago. And uh, I walked from Peter Mac down to the uh, opening of the game where I had a table of, um, of uh, friends that we were going to share the evening with. And uh, I well knew that as I walked off there, that might be the last time I'd ever see Melissa. Jeez. Uh, anyway, I was sitting there, you know, I did my bit with my friends and sort of welcomed them and all settled in for the game. But before that ball bounced, I was gone. I was back there beside her bed. and. Um, that was a pretty tough few hours, and uh, the footy results had come and gone. I didn't even know what they were, obviously. Mm. Uh, and somehow during the night, she um, she mustered the courage to hang on. And uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know that that was uh, that was probably it. And and then I said, well, you know, during that, okay, I was cool enough and calm enough to really not let anybody know what was going on. I was able to do what I needed to do, and still be there to support. So. You know, that, that's, that's what you've got to do. You, you just you, you have no choice. You've no, just, no. you just got to step up to the plate and um, use everything within, within you that you've been taught and educated to and you just got to bring it out on the table and support. You, had, you were entitled to be extremely proud. You, there's a fundraiser for, uh, for Melissa at the uh, Wheelers Hill Pub, I think, Wheelers Hill yeah, Pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the footy family and your extended family, just amazing support, raised over 100000 bucks, yeah. and you were able to... To get the medicine, I think the Ronnie Walker medicine is yeah, that, that, right. that just yeah. changed her life. Yeah, yeah. Well, that you know that medicine was um, you know it was thirty seven grand a pop at those stages, wow. and uh, it was pretty regular. That had to happen, and um, uh, it's on the PBS now, thankfully. Um, and you know others that are following can um, now you know reap the benefits mm. of that, thankfully. Um, but you know it's the case with so many medicines in this country worldwide for that, but in this country. It's just advancing at such a rate now. It's just exciting. You know, there'll be so many young people that uh, are given a second and third opportunity to uh, yeah. live a reasonable level of yeah. a healthy life uh, because of the advances in that medical research. Ken, yours is a brilliant story, and I mean that, and you've told it brilliantly today. It's, um, uh, I've been fascinated with your journey uh, and, and admire so much your bravery talking about the domestic situation. So it's yeah. great to get in front of you and nice to catch up. Thank you, Michael. This has been a Fox Footy production, part of the Fox Sports Network.